Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do uh, praise you for your justice and your holiness and also for your mercy and love. We pray that as we reflect on your judgment and your anger this evening, as we reflect on your word in Zephaniah, would you please help us to understand better who you are and to respond rightly to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want to overstate this, but, but with some people, you feel like when God finally judges them, they will deserve everything they get. I mean, uh, blokes who fly planes into buildings. Blokes who fly planes into buildings in the name of God. I mean, I don't have a whole heap of sympathy for people like that. Even some of the stuff we've seen this week, mums getting their little kids to hold up signs like this. Behead all those who insult the prophet. How old would he be, that little kid? They've even blocked out his face. It's so awful. They wouldn't even have his face... uh, Would he be three or four? It's pretty off, don't you reckon? Or or this one. Our dead are in paradise, your dead are in hell, so let's have a war. Uh, Or you think of some of the terrible things that happen in some pagan religions, things like human sacrifice. Here's a picture of uh, a painting of uh, human sacrifice. Terrible, terrible stuff. There, There are some pretty awful things done in the name of religion. Thanks, Carrie. And, and... I mean, the the leaders, the idolatrous religious leaders who teach false things about God, who get people to do dreadful things for the sake of religion, God's going to judge them. And most of us, I mean, we might feel a bit sorry for them, but basically they deserve what they'll get, don't they? I mean, you can see God is right to judge them. But reality is... Most of us aren't like that. And most of the people we know aren't like that either. Most of the people we know, they're not Christians, but they're not bad people. The people we work with or study with, the people in mother's group, the people we play sport with, the people we go to school with, the non-Christians in our families, they're all right. They mind their own business. They just live quiet lives. They don't... It's not like they hate God. It's not like they hate Christians or something like that. They just... They just can't be bothered with it all. You talk to them about Jesus, and it's not like they vigorously disbelieve it and get angry with you or something like that. They probably say something like, that's lovely for you. But it's not for them. It's not something they feel the need to act on. They're too busy getting on with life, accumulating wealth, buying houses, working hard at their career, raising their family, involved in their hobbies. The the people that we know, they're not wicked idolaters. They're not going to sacrifice their children. They're not going to fly planes into buildings or something like that. They're nice people just getting on with life. And so the idea that God would be angry with them the idea that God would, would judge them doesn't feel right, does it? Doesn't doesn't feel true. It, they seem like, you know, the people we hang around with, they seem like they'll be okay. Maybe I'm talking about you. Maybe you're here this evening 
but not because you have any interest in God or Jesus. I mean, you think it's fine for other people, but you think it's not something you need to worry about. Uh, you think if there is a God, you should be okay with him. If I were to suggest this evening that God is angry with you, well, you think that would be pretty offensive because you're a nice person, probably nicer than me. It's just that the whole God thing, the Jesus thing, it's not for you. Well, for whatever reason you're here, can I say welcome. Welcome to church. It's great to have you here with us. And this evening we start this three-week series on the book of Zephaniah. It's in the Old Testament. It's not a book that people study a lot. I've never heard any sermons on the book of Zephaniah, apart from my own this morning. Um, but we are going to spend three weeks on it together, on these three chapters, the book of Zephaniah. So let's dive in. Zephaniah starts off by saying that it was God who gave the words of the book to him. They're not just his words, not just Zephaniah's words. These are God's words. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Now, Zephaniah then gives us a bit of his family history. He's actually related to somebody famous. He is the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah of Judah. Verse 1 again. Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Next thing, Zephaniah tells us when God spoke to him. And it was during the reign of King Josiah. Now, King Josiah was also related to King Hezekiah. And so he and Zephaniah are related. Um, Josiah's uh, grandfather and Zephaniah's great-grandfather were brothers. I don't know what that makes them. Some of the genealogists among us might say that's kind of second uncles or something like that, some kind of distant cousins. All right. Anyway, uh, God speaks to Zephaniah while his distant relative, Josiah, is king. Historically, we're in around about 620 to 630 BC. 620 to 630 BC. Verse 1 again. When did this happen? When did God's word come to Zephaniah? Uh, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, it's important that we understand where we are in the history of the Jews here. And so I'm very pleased that I'm speaking to a highly educated congregation who are thoroughly aware of two chronicles and are very aware of the, the flow of kings, those of you who have been in church this year. Um, so where are we in the history of the Jews? Well, Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, you may remember from earlier in this year, he's a pretty good bloke, isn't he? He, he tries hard to serve God. He, he, he tries to do the right, right thing most of the time. And during Hezekiah's reign... God does an amazing miracle. He saves Judah. In fact, he, um, he, he, he defeats the Assyrian Empire. 180,000 people killed and Judah is spared. The, the rest of Israel is destroyed, but Judah is spared with this extraordinary miracle. It's a miracle that's recorded even in Assyrian records as well as in Judean records. God spared Judah at the time of Hezekiah. But then Hezekiah had a son. His name was Manasseh and Manasseh was a total shocker. He was awful. And not only was he awful, he reigned for 55 years. During that time, he led Judah into all kinds of idolatry and evil. During this time, Judah became so wicked that God said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of you. He said, I'm going to wipe you out like a dish. I'm going to destroy the lot of you. Eventually, Manasseh dies. He's succeeded by his son, Ammon. Ammon's also a shocker, and within two years, his own people assassinate him. That brings King Josiah to the throne. 
Josiah is a man of eight years of age when he becomes king. He's eight years old. By the age of 16, Josiah has two wives and a couple of sons. Uh, his advisors, they want to make sure that he's got successes. They've got to keep the line going. So by 16, he's got a couple of sons. And it's at that age, 16, that the Bible says Josiah started to seek the Lord. He gets rid of some of the idolatry in the land and he gets the temple of the Lord repaired. During the course of the repairs, they find a book in the temple. The book of the law, they call it. Uh, probably it's what we now know as the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. They didn't have it. No Bible, basically. And suddenly, as they're cleaning out the temple, whoa, what's this? Oh, a Bible. One Bible. Furthermore, well, Josiah reads it and he realises we're in trouble big time. We're in big trouble for decades. We've been blatantly disobeying God. So he finds this prophetess who was the, she the, the, son of the, the, the wife of the son of the wardrobe keeper or whatever she was. She's a prophetess and she confirms, Hulda, that uh, Judah are in big trouble. That God is bringing disaster. And so Josiah decides he's going to get serious about reforming Judah. He gets serious about purging the land of idols and he follows what this book of the law says. And it's probably at this time, uh, during this, this massive attempt at reform by King Josiah, that God speaks to Zephaniah. Uh, Zephaniah, in his little book, I'm not going to show it to you every time, but uh, uh, he often alludes to the book of Deuteronomy. And so he's probably writing soon after the discovery of this book in the temple. Okay, do you see where we are? For decades, more than 50 years, Judah has been disobedient to God. Josiah is now trying to turn it all around. And now as he's trying to do it, God speaks to Judah through Zephaniah to kind of back up what Josiah is doing. God starts off, he starts off by saying that he's going to judge the entire world. Uh, in the beginning, according to the argument of Genesis chapter 1, God created everything and he created uh, fish, birds, animals and man in that order in Genesis chapter 1. Well, now he says, I'm going to destroy them in the opposite order. I'm going to uncreate them. So men, animals, birds and fish in the opposite order. This kind of uncreation of the world. Verse 2. Verse 2. This is what God says. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. God's judgment is coming. And now we narrow focus. Uh, God's anger is particularly, specifically coming onto the land of Judah. And in particular, he's targeting idolatry in the land. And he targets first, he says, the worship of Baal. Now, I should say, Baal worship was, was pretty disgusting. Uh, you might not like what happens in church. You might think it's all a bit, I don't know, strange or weird. Or uh, Tell you what, nothing like Baal worship. Uh, I read an article about Baal worship this week. Let me, let me quote a little bit about Baal worship. Ritualistic Baal worship looked like this. Adults would gather around the altar of Baal. Infants, babies, would then be burned alive as a sacrificial offering to the deity. Amid horrific screams and the stench of charred human flesh, congregants, men and women alike, would engage in bisexual orgies. The ritual was intended to produce economic prosperity 
by prompting Baal to bring rain for the fertility of Mother Earth. Uh, that's pretty yuck, isn't it? It's pretty awful. No wonder, no wonder God is so angry about it that his people are doing this dreadful Baal worship. Now, it's not just Baal worship, though. God also targets those who worship stars. He targets those who worship Molech as well. Molech worship also involves sacrificing your children. It involves sacred prostitution. disgusting stuff. I mean, all this, this dreadful idolatry among God's people due to it is no wonder that God is, is livid with them. Verse 4. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and also who swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. God says, I'm preparing a sacrifice. It's not an animal sacrifice. He says, I'm inviting you to be... The sacrifice. He says, I'm going to sacrifice idolaters. I'm going to slaughter my enemies. I'm going to destroy, it doesn't matter who they are, the leaders in Judah, the the sons of Josiah, those in foreign clothes, that is, Judeans who who wear uh, the priestly robes of of, of foreign deities. Uh, God says, "I, I hate it all. And he says, I've set a day when I will judge idolatrous Judah. Verse 7. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes, the leaders, and the king's sons, and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold. I mean, that seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Why does he get angry with people who don't step on the threshold? Uh, well, in fact, that's referring to people who worship the Philistine god Dagon. Uh, again, he's a fertility idol. He's worshipped by um, sacred prostitution. And you can read about why they don't step on the uh, threshold in the book of 1 Samuel. I encourage you to have a look at it. So Dagon worshippers, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. All right. Uh, I mean, disgusting idolatry child sacrifice, bisexual prostitution, orgies, and they call it worship. God's going to destroy it all, and fair enough. It's just disgusting, isn't it? But now have a look at the twist. Because it's not just the out-and-out idolaters who God is going for. God says he is also going to destroy the complacent are the people who, they're just content to go on without God. The people who, who don't care about religion or God. The people who just live for money and stuff. Uh, apathetic materialists, you might call them. Ordinary Australians, you might call them. God says he's going to smash them as well. Verse 10. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate wailing from the new quarter and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, you who live in the market district, or your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, 
who are like wine left on its dregs. The idea is this wine kind of on its dregs. It's like um, modern translation. Those who just kind of blob in front of their TV all day or lounge around in deck chairs all day, something like that. Those who are like wine left on its dregs who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. And then just look at this description of judgment because it's really... I mean, it is just full of anger. It's a day of destruction, a day of distress, a day of death. And and money says God will be no protection. Verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen. The cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter. The shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. That sounds pretty grumpy to me. Don't you think God doesn't sound like he's eating fairy floss here, does he? Sounds very, very angry. So what do you reckon is going on there? Why is God so angry with the complacent? With the people who just get on with their lives and ignore him? It's not like they're hurting anyone. They're just blobbing around like wine on their dregs. Why is God so angry with them? Well, I have to say, as a dad, I get it. I mean... God has given these people everything. He's given them life. Every breath that they take is a gift from God. Everything they are, God made them. Everything they have, God gave them. I get why God doesn't like it when they ignore him. When they live as if he doesn't matter, he doesn't count, and they've somehow got all their stuff themselves. For my children... There are a few of them here tonight. Uh, for my children to, uh, to, to live in my house, to sleep in my bed, to watch my TV, eat my food, bathe in my bath, wear the clothes I buy them, go to the school I pay for, for them to then ignore me, for them to pretend I don't exist, like they don't have a dad, for them to happily live their life in my house with my stuff with no acknowledgement of me, never talking to me, uh, speaking to other people as if they don't have a dad, as if they've got all this stuff themselves. That is not acceptable to me. I'm not going to allow that. I give them everything. They should have the grace and the courtesy and the humility and the honesty to acknowledge it. And they should show me some love and respect. And they do, don't you boys? You do. <laughs> God won't allow it either. God will not allow it. He demands that people give him due love and respect. 
Those complacent people in Judah, they make him mad. Those people who ignore him, they incite him to anger. And so God's day of judgment is coming. There is no stopping it. There is no avoiding it. There is no changing God's mind. They cannot buy him off. They cannot fight him off. There's just one slight possibility for Judah. There's just, just, just the slight chance that they could be sheltered on that day. So here's what they've got to do. They've got to get together and they've got to seek God in prayer. They've got to humble themselves before him. They've got to beg for his mercy and they've got to change their ways. Chapter 2, verse 1. Gather together. Gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives and that day sweeps on like chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Okay, do you get the point God's making here? He's had it. He's had it with Judah. He's had it with their gross idolatry. He's had it with their complacent materialism. God has set a day when he's going to smash them and there is nothing they can do to stop it. They can just pray that God will shelter them when that day comes. Well, King Josiah heard this and he listened. He listened to Zephaniah and he worked, he worked hard to reform Judah, to, to get them to humble themselves, to get them to change their ways. Josiah worked hard, but it didn't last. Are those sons born to him when he was so young? They didn't follow in his footsteps. And just like God says here, they got smashed. Within just a few years of Zephaniah's prophecy, Judah was destroyed. Uh, Josiah's son Jehoahaz became king, smashed carried off into exile in Egypt. Josiah's next son, Jehoiakim, smashed, taken off into exile in Babylon. Uh, the nation of Judah, completely destroyed, completely defeated, wiped out like a dish, the few survivors taken to Babylon. Uh, Josiah's brother, Zedekiah, is then put on the throne and then he has all his sons killed before his eyes and then his eyes put out so that the last thing he ever sees is his kids having been killed and then he is taken off to exile in Babylon, the last ever king of Judah. Through Zephaniah, God said it would happen, and it happened. That, by the way, is why they put Zephaniah's book in the Bible. Um, it's why they believed that God had spoken through Zephaniah. He said it would happen, and it happened. But, of course, that's not the end of God's judgment. Uh, not even the end of God's judgment in Zephaniah. In Zephaniah, God says he's going to judge not just Judah, he's going to judge the whole world. He's not going to tolerate sin and idolatry. And as Christians, we know that that day is still to come. A day is coming when God would judge this world and everyone in it. He would judge idolaters. And now I want to show you some verses from the New Testament. So I've put them on your, uh, on your outline on the right-hand side there. Uh, first, this is from Acts chapter 17. And have a look with me at uh, God's judgment of idolatry here. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. Idolatry. 
in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God has raised Jesus from the dead, appointed him as judge, set the day, his judgment is coming on idolatry. Jesus will return. Here's what's going to happen, the second verse there from 2 Peter. It's going to be the end for the world. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. God's judgment is coming and there is only one way to be sheltered, only one way to be rescued from God's coming anger. Here it is. This is what the Thessalonians did. This is what the Thessalonian Christians did. It's the only thing anyone can do. There, the third verse. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus can rescue people from the coming wrath. He is the only one raised from the dead, the only one who can rescue people. And so people need to do what the Thessalonians did here. People need to turn from idols to serve the true God and rely on Jesus to rescue them. But the thing that strikes me about this passage here in Zephaniah is this. God's judgment, it's not just for kind of those disgusting people that you see on the news. God's judgment is not just for gross idolaters. God's judgment is for complacent materialists as well. God's anger is coming onto everyone who ignores him. Who, who, who live the life that he gives without giving him the respect and honour that he's due. Back there in Zephaniah, God says he'll punish those who are complacent, who think that God won't do anything, who just get on with life, building their wealth, their houses, their businesses. Friends, God hasn't changed his mind on this. He's not suddenly okay with people ignoring him. He's not suddenly okay with people living like he's not there, like he hasn't given them everything. And God is certainly not okay if we ignore the great salvation he's provided in Jesus. On your outline there from the book of Hebrews, this last verse, last verse is here. We must pay more careful attention then to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message of the Old Testament spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You can't just ignore God and hope he'll go away. God made us. God sustains us. God gives us everything. He won't accept our apathy. He won't tolerate being ignored. He demands that we thank him. He demands that we praise him. He demands that we live for him. He demands that we put our lives in the hands of Jesus. Friends, here's the point. Here's the point. Apathy makes God just as angry as idolatry. Apathy makes God just as angry as idolatry. Now, those ordinary people who ignore God, who think the God thing isn't for them, they need to be rescued from God's anger. They need Jesus. And friend, if you're here, a Christian, this evening, then let me ask you this question. Who is going to tell them if not you? 
Who else is there to warn them? Who else is there to, to, to show them that their apathy is eternally dangerous? Who is there who's going to tell them that they're not okay? Who is there but Christians like you and me? And friend, whoever you are this evening, whether you be Christian or non-Christian, let me ask you this question. What's going to happen to you on Judgment Day? What's going to happen to you when God's promised anger comes onto this world? Make no, make no mistake, it's going to come. You can't stop it, you can't avoid it, and if you are ignoring God, it is coming onto you. I'm sorry if that's offensive to you, but fact is I'm not going to do you any favours by telling you lies. It's far too serious for me to tell you some lie just to avoid offending you. If you are ignoring God, God's anger is coming onto you. Friend, please do not be apathetic about this. Please do not think this is not for you. Please do not be complacent about this. You need to rely on Jesus. Only he can rescue you from God's coming anger. Only he can shelter you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so sorry that we would live life in the pretense that we give ourselves everything we have. We are so sorry that we would live our lives ignoring the fact that you have given us life, the fact that everything we are and everything we have comes to us as a gift from you. We are so sorry that we would ever think we could be okay with you, that you would be okay with us ignoring you. Father, we pray that you would please forgive us and please shelter us on the day when your righteous anger comes. Father, we know that only Jesus can rescue us and so we rely on him. We rely on Jesus and we pray that you would shelter us. In Jesus' name, amen.